0: Wow. Nice to meet you, by the way, David. Nice meeting
1: you as well. I wish you would have been with us last night. The the ribbing that they gave Kyle last night was brutal. (laughs) Brutal.
2: I'm wearing my readers tonight so I can keep an eye on you guys. Okay.
0: (laughs) You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web podcast network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, and the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. Have you noticed that all good things come in threes? XLR, AES, meat, cheese, and tortillas, Michael Lawrence, Chris Leonard, and Kyle Turnside, and now the Allen and Heath AHM Matrix family, AHM64. AHM32, and AHM16. 96 kHz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Who says matrices have to be boring? Not us. We've never said that. Kyle said it once, but we proved him wrong. Check them out
3: today. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time to the Sickless Noise podcast. I am Chris Leonard, joined by the handsome Michael Lawrence, the cool hey. Kyle Chernside, <laughs> and the amazing Sam Boone.
1: Hey. Wow,
0: that's My- pretty good,
2: man. Michael's awesome. in Reno.
0: I'm in Reno. I'm in, I'm, in the, uh, I'm in the highest and most distant seat I could find in the venue here. Which is, Uh, ironically,
3: not very high in that venue, so let's be honest. It's
0: not. It's it's, 22 and a half feet off the ground
3: right now. (laughs) (laughs) He already measured it. Yeah, person measured it. Uh, Well, Michael, real quick, so if anyone hasn't been following us, what what, what are you doing out there?
0: We are in rehearsal for uh, the Ghost and Volbeat U.S. Arena Tour. Um, Our first show is, I believe, Tuesday right here, and then we go to
3: Seattle. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool man a lot of cool stuff going on out here having yeah, a good time yeah. if people want to follow along in our discord we're doing a thing um every day michael's posting a daily picture 50 days of sc life on tour i'm is. also posting it on my instagram and our facebook group as well and i've been getting all kinds of people hitting me up oh you're gonna read i like no no i'm just posting for michael because he's not on facebook so um yeah it's
2: <laughs> chris chris discord. is living it too I know
3: yeah no we're we're happy. There's been a lot of uh, we probably doubled our discord users in the last like week or two. Um, and uh, it it's a it's a much better place than Facebook and much more organized for the community that I believe that we're developing. We're very proud of what everyone's doing and giving back and mentorship and jobs and food picks and all that stuff. So
2: you know yeah, what we, I did on yeah. discord, what you do? It, and this was one of the fun things is they have an audio line and a video line. and mm-hmm. Michael just happened to be on, so, me and him chatted for a while, and then I told Sam I was bored, and we did a video walkthrough, and a couple people joined, and we sat there and talked about audio in the middle of the day. So I, I think there's a lot of channels on there: pets, yep. food, everything. So it, and it's just us, you know. So yep. invite your friends. They're doing the book reading there, right? They're doing the yeah. book.
3: Uh, well, that's that's a different server, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I got I get, so Kyle gave us a shop yeah. tour. Pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I kind of gave you a shop tour. Yeah.
3: All right, Kyle. Who we uh, who we got tonight?
2: I am stoked. Um I, I think I told you Chris before we started that the only way I can describe David five one Norman is one of the most charismatic guys that we've ever had on tour because he was always in a great mood, things got done. Um he's been PM TM uh, we, we'll talk about his audio background as well. Um, right now, we a couple episodes ago, right, we had KD on. Yep. She's out uh, mm-hmm. starting with uh, this guy named Tyler, the creator. And if you haven't heard his new album, I suggest you do it. Um, it's a fine display of art. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't even know where you're at. You're on this, You're in the uh, California area right now, right? Yep, I flew, flew in today. David, 51 Norman, welcome to the show.
1: Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Thank you. And good night. I'm out. <laughs> <tour>?
2: That's <laughs> how uh, that's how long last now? night's recording was.
0: Wait, say it again, Michael? I was wondering which which tour they did together.
2: Oh, we did uh was it well, it was on Infin- Infinity on High calculate or uh for Fallout boy. We did right? three so, like, Yeah, three we did three run. runs. Yeah,
1: we did yeah. the arena run one and two, then we did the shed tour, and then we went yeah. over to Europe um so yeah we have history for sure
2: so that was one of the like pinnacle moments because by that time um from under the court tree was like insane double triple platinum almost diamond or whatever island def jam was pushing us really well and uh when infinity on high came out jay-z really took a liking to the band mm-hmm. and um it, man something about that album like uh you came out we had moving truss, like there was all kinds of things going on that had the magic
1: trick remember the band would mysteriously go from the stage and be out at the front of house mix
2: playing oh yeah with the shadows so yep. the text would go in these booths and there would be shadows and all of a sudden they'd pop up at front of house and they'd play dance dance crazy um the production for that tour was insane i i will say this that tour and the next one the the shed tour I think we were ranked in the top five grossing mm-hmm. tour acts of that year. Or I yep. think it was two years in a row for that. Mm-hmm. So it was a fun one. We had a blast on that tour.
1: Yep. Partly how I got most of this gray.
2: <laughs> that was just from listening to my mix. <laughs> no, <The> mixes <laughs> were always
1: mixes were always on point for sure.
2: They were they were a handful for sure. So <laughs> you're you're with tyler the creator now um this is kind of a a step away from what you normally last time i saw you i think you were doing uh, the allison krauss thing
1: yeah allison krauss and robert plant i was tour manager and tour captain on that and that was I, you know i was born in london well outside of london so i was a huge led zeppelin fan and when i got the call to uh, interview for the Robert Plant, Alison Krauss tour, I was super nervous, very, very nervous because Robert interviewed me over the phone and, you know, I'm sitting going, Holy shit, this is Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin. So I was willing to do the gig for free just to meet him. And we did rehearsals in Nashville. And I remember I had to go pick him up from the airport in Nashville and he came down the elevator and I was like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. And he's, hello, mate, how are you doing? It's great to meet you. Where's the car? Let's go. And then he wanted to take me to dinner and then have some wine. And then, you know, I'm still, this is fucking Robert. Bland. I just can't. <laughs> yeah. sure so, is he but, short? No, no, he's like six, three, six, four. Awesome. Yep. But Alison Krause, that woman has a voice like an angel, seriously. And one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life.
2: You've uh, you've done a lot of stuff. Um, the The cool thing I think about you is you know a little bit about everybody's business, whether it's the techs on stage, um, audio rigging, lighting, video, your your guest services, like accounting. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you kind you kind of do it all, my man. So, what kind of gravitated you to to pick up bits of that?
1: Well, I'll have to tell you the. The story goes back a little bit further so my father was in the service and we moved quite a bit when i was younger and my father instilled in us you know a great work ethic and then because we moved so much my schooling was never the same you know i didn't go to like public schools i went to catholic schools because those were the same curriculum base to base, country to country, city to state to state. So I grew up with structure, you know, the the Air Force and Catholic Catholicism. Yeah, I I was really structured. So I lost my parents when I turned 18 years old um, to a car accident. And I had to be the, my uncle and aunt who were also in the car accident were the executors of the will, but they were laid up in the hospital for like six months. So I had to be Because I'm the eldest, I had to be the one to go out and find an attorney, look through my father's work stuff to find all the paperwork, you know, his uh, military stuff, my mom's stuff. My mom was a substitute teacher. And so I had to do all that together. And I think that kind of instilled in me of, I need to learn everything or figure out everything. And so I had three great mentors when I was coming up in the music industry. One is a gentleman named Tom Barfield, Who I still speak with to this day. And he had worked with everyone from Motley Crue to Rick James to you name it back in the day. And my other one, oh, yeah. And my other one is a a lady named Karen Kratinger. And she had worked with Prince for like nine years and she worked with the Dixie Chicks for like six or seven years. And my third one is an Englishman named Bob Ward, who used to be the touring guru for sanctuary music and sanctuary music at the time had beyonce morrissey iron maiden all of that so i got a lot of wisdom from him and tom barfield probably gave me the best uh advice that i say to everyone and share with everyone nowadays is learn everything you can learn. If you could be a tour manager, also learn accounting. If you you learn accounting, also be do a production manager. And I said, that's a lot of work. He says, but look at it this way, your job, your life, your phone is going to ring three times more than just one time. If you just specialize in one thing and it's come to pass because every tour I've ever been on, I'm either tour manager and production. I mean, uh, and tour accountants are, production manager and accountant, like I'm out here with uh, Tyler. And when I was with Prince, I kind of did a little bit of everything on that. I did budgets, I did production, did a little bit of road management and tour management. And then being around him instilled a lot of work ethic in you also. And after Fallout Boy, that's also how I got a lot of the spray (laughs) was, was from him because he did not play. But man, the stuff that he taught people about music, about audio, about lighting, about video, how to put together a show. He, you know, it was just, you just have to sit there and just soak it all up because if you didn't learn anything from him or didn't learn, uh, it was just, I just, and you know, there's a graveyard of us who've worked with him. Cause I can't tell you how many front of house enge- engineers that have actually mixed for him because we always traveled with five front of house engineers. Because you would know like maybe two would survive because you, we would draw straws at the beginning of the tour and whoever got the shortest straw had to go first. And we knew that probably third, fourth show, he was, he was going to be out of there because Prince is one of those people. He would come out to the front of house mix and he would listen to the band play and he'd walk up to the console and he'd meet the console and he immediately turned to the front of house guy and he'd go, does that sound good to you? And so it puts you on the spot because if you say yes, and then he'll go, hmm. or if you say no, then he says, well, then why are you out here? Jeez. You know, you're, you're, but he was very, very good about teaching guys. Uh, he was the guy who really put the, the onus on people using pro tools as far as playback to tune the PA and to tune monitors. Because he walked up one day on stage and the monitor guy was going, hey, 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 hey one, two, one, two. And he says, why, why do you guys do that? And what's the usual response? Well, that's the way that we've always done it, you know, where there's certain frequencies. He says, but I never say, hey, 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 one, two, one, two during my show. So why, why are you doing it? And the monitor guy, you could just see, is like, why, why am I doing that? And he says, did you record last night's show? And he says, yes, sir. And he says, well, why don't you just play my voice? through the wedges, and then tune the wedges like that. And the guy's like, huh, I never thought about that. So every tour after that, you never heard a guy going, hey, 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 hey one, two, one, two, because you never knew if he was going to walk in. So he was the guy that that was that. He was also the guy who could call out frequencies from the stage to, like, the monitor guy if something was feeding back. And, man, if you weren't quick to notch that out, he would physically – mute his guitar he would walk over and go to the eq himself and go shoot wow. shoot 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 shoot. so the guy was like beyond
3: amazing i'm i'm curious we, we always hear the 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 crazy stories about prince and it's funny you brought a prince without us having to ask um, mm-hmm. um i'm curious you mentioned that he taught people a lot of things mm-hmm. so what is there something maybe he taught you outside of production? Like, was there any like life talk things at all? Or oh, was yeah, all, yeah, So what, what, yeah. what? was some stuff there.
1: Um, I'll I'll tell you that first, and then I'll tell you a Prince joke first that he go. shared with me about audio. So the first one was we we would have a lot of talk. So I would always tell people I knew two Prince. If Prince would invite me to the dressing room and ask sit down and i knew that he was in a good mood and you know we were going to chat about religion or basketball or sports or music or anything if i got called down to the dressing room and he didn't ask me to sit down it was usually he was going to chew me out about something or i had to go fire someone and so (laughs) that was but the things that he really taught was how to deal with people one how to listen and observe um he has that whole bruce lee kind of vibe about him you know sometimes if you just listen and watch you learn a lot more than Mm -hmm. flapping your gums and that was one of the things i really so i observe everything and even when i've hired people on tours is because i've watched how they've dealt with other people or how they their work ethic and it's always been to my advantage and i i'm I'll be sixty this coming May. My, my thing is I'm always learning. I want to keep learning. And so with younger people, i I just soak up all that information that they that they share because you you can never stop learning. So here's my my print story I want to tell you guys about audio. So uh, one day I asked Prince, I said, hey, out of all the front of house engineers you've ever had in your entire career, and you've had some great ones you've had, Scotty P. you had Cubby. You've had Robert Scoville. You, I mean, you've had like the dream team. And I said, who was the best front-of-house engineer that you've ever had? And he just looked at me deadpan. He said, me? And I said, okay, but I mean, outside of you, he says, all right, if I could clone myself, I would still be the best <laughs> front-of-house engineer that I've ever had. And, he's, and And then he says, well, let me explain myself. He says, well, look, I play the music, I sang the music. I engineered the music. I mixed the music. Uh, I had help mastering the music. So who knows my music better than I do? And he says, and I'm an audio guy. You know, I I I can call out stuff. So why wouldn't I be? And didn't you remember those years where he didn't want to have a front of house console? He mixed from yes. the side of the stage. Yeah. But so that was you just saw him going through all these evolutions of I'm tired of dealing with other people who can't hear what I'm hearing in my head and our last tour that we did over in Europe was with Third Eye Girl and he told the front of house guy he says I want this band to be like Metallica loud and have all of those accents and dynamics but I still want the funk with it and so you know for a front of house engineer it's hard to kind of put those two elements together so of course, like the first guy, he was out of there like three days. Second guy, he was out in like two days. The third guy was watching and listening and observing, and he got it. And he actually finished out the entire tour. I mean, he was on pins and needles every day,
2: but sure. he he got yeah. it. So
3: that's awesome.
2: So I have questions.
3: Fire. <laughs> <laughs>
4: We've all been waiting for it, Kyle. Okay.
2: Yeah. I, I've heard the story before and I know people are going to ask about it. And I kind of explained it to Chris and Michael, but I didn't want to blow it for you to be able to say it. So five, one. And I remember, I remember the day that you told the story because I I was, I was listening and that was, that was one of the cooler stories because it's kind of an industry based thing.
1: Okay. How I got the nickname. Yeah. Okay. So there was an artist, um, you guys are young, so I don't know if you watch the TV show Entertainment Tonight. So look I'm, at I'm <laughs> now, but I'm looking at their faces like oh, Entertainment Tonight is that like a cartoon? 18. Is that like? But anyway, there's a host that had been on the show. I'm not going to say his name because uh, he's going through uh, some trials and tribulations right now. But he had hosted the show for like 29 years or so. So when he left the show, he was going to start his music career. And um, we did this live television special, and I was production manager on it. And I had 160 Davids on the special, had 18 Davids, nine of which were on my production channel, Channel One. So the artist, we had a radio on his bus, and his bus followed my bus. And he would get up in the morning and call the radio and say, hey, David, I'm up. Can you bring me a cup of coffee? Well, all nine Davids of us on Channel One would go to catering and get a cup of coffee. You know, not figuring out, hey, well, it's kind of odd that all of you guys are getting coffee at the same time. (laughs) And we would all meet at the bus. So, like, after the second day, the artist says, hey, uh, you take care of me. So I need to come up with a radio code name for you. So what kind of things are you interested in? And I said, well, I've been a practicing Buddhist for many years Uh, I love conspiracy theaters. I love to read about serial killers, not because I want to be a serial killer, of (laughs) course, but because I don't understand how a person doesn't have empathy in their DNA and they could harm another person or another animal. So I just kind of try to figure that out. And I said, uh, my father worked on the jet propulsion systems of fighter jets. So I've always been interested in Area 51. And his eyes got really big as saucers. He says, we're going to be playing Vegas in two weeks. So I'm going to fly my manager in, and we're going to drive out to Area 51. But the artist is like six foot nine. His manager looks like he'd be one of the guitar players in Leonard Skinner And me, the black guy in a car. We didn't look too inconspicuous <laughs> in leaving Vegas to, to drive out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so... Area 51 is about 76 miles outside of Vegas. So we find a little dirt road that leads down there. And this is before they started putting up all the the gates and everything out there. And so we find a little dirt road. And as soon as you turn down the dirt road, you see a sign that says, stop, government installation, $10,000 fine, possible one-year imprisonment. And the artist is like, oh, I got that in my pocket, so he kept driving, and it's a dirt road through the desert, so we drive like another mile and a quarter, and you see a bigger sign that says, stop government installation, $50,000 fine, possible five-year imprisonment, and so it's like, ooh, okay, this is kind of getting deep, so we drive like another mile, and now you see a sign on both sides of the road, like you see on the interstates, you know, how ginormous those are, and you can't miss it, and it says stop government installation, shoot to kill orders after this after this point. And I told the artist, I said, Hey, I think that we should stop. I'm starting to get a little scared. And he says, why the fuck are you scared? And I said, who's the first person that dies in the movie, the black guy. So we kept we drove like another mile and then we get to the top of this hill and you know, sometimes how you get to the top of the hill and you can't see what's down until you get to the crest. So we're at the top of the hill, I'm in the back seat and I hear him go, Oh shit. <laughs> and as we're coming down, there's two white Humvees <laughs> at the bottom of the hill, like sixteen guys in full gear and stuff. We come to a stop. They rush the vehicle. They yank us out. They put, uh, they zip tie our wrists behind our backs, throw us to the ground, muzzles to the back of our necks. Keep your fucking nose to the ground. Don't say a word. Blah blah blah. They took our wallets and they were. So we were there for like 45 minutes in the middle of the desert. You know, I'm sweating my balls off. I peed my pants because I was so scared. Um, so they finally cut our, our, our ties off of us and tell us to get in the vehicle. So they escorted us all the way back to Vegas and gave us our wasp back, blessed us down in the, the lobby of the hotel. And then, of course, you know, we pull up and you see 16 guys with rifles walking through the four seasons and, you know, with the artists. So, so the next morning, uh, the artist came down for breakfast and we were sitting in catering. And he was writing out the guests, uh, the set list. And you know how sometimes you just kind of doodle when you're kind of just talking about something. And we were talking about Area 51, 51, 51. I guess it kind of lodged in his head. And he was just doodling on the paper and he did a five, a dash, and a one. He's like... That's it. That's gonna be your radio code name for now on five one. So it's always stuck. So every tour I've ever been on, there's always multiple Davids. And even when I'm on Zooms without the Davids, I just tell people please call me Five One because I don't want to answer out of turn for somebody else. So that's the story of Five One. It came from an artist who used to be the host of Entertainment Tonight.
2: I love that story. Dude, that's Damn. the second time I've heard it. I love that story. <laughs> I, I got a I got a friend, friend, his name is Snack Bar. The only, oh my gosh and the, only, and, the, and the only reason his name is Snack bar is because he's got a little bit of everything. you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> oh, who was the guy That's that how long that story is. <laughs> okay. didn't you have like a
0: dirty
1: or something like that yeah yeah, dirty, dirty is he John is he still Miller. around?
2: Yes, he is. every once in a while i I say hello to John Miller. okay. that was yeah. the tour uh that we shot baseballs at his chest. Yep. Remember, uh, Pete
1: tattooed him.
2: Oh, oh yeah, uh, I've told the story of uh, the branding in Pepsi, <laughs> oh, yeah. New York.
0: Oh, yes, <laughs> he told that story to a bunch of kids
2: either. too. <laughs> I did. Michael met me, and I told that story. Unfortunately, <laughs> hit me up on Discord. I'll tell the story there.
3: So, David, I'm curious. So, as, as uh, being a, I'm sorry, damn it. We just went through this five <laughs> one. <laughs> um, okay i'm just messing with you <laughs> so being a tour manager um mm-hmm. you know you, you alluded to two things that's funny uh, and and so sam and i actually had a conversation this week and i hope she, she, she probably picked up on that I, I think just about everything i told sam this week you basically just said right Oh yeah. um yeah. there's two things that i've learned to live by or wish or she always she always asks the question hey if there's one i'll, I'll let her ask later sorry so, um I'm-
4: yeah, everybody I talk to, the first question I meet, and Michael can vouch for this, uh, the first question I always ask is, what do you wish you would have known when you first started? Like, what What Ooh. do you wish that somebody told you? Um, and I've asked it for years, and I ask it to pretty much, I think I've asked it to everybody. Um, and I just
2: uh, don't the answers.
3: Well, hold on, before you answer, because okay. I, okay. I want to, I I, I, that's what tees up. What I was going to ask you, and then, okay. and then we can ask you that question. So my answer to that was: I wish I would have learned two things. To um, well, actually, no, it, it sums up in empathy. That's the word. Is I wish I would have learned to lean into empathy more. I, I do now, um, and and I think the best way to lean into empathy is to study people uh, mm-hmm. and to study people's interactions and 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 study how someone communicates something, how someone receives it um and figure out how well it was received and what they're trying to convey anyway i say all that to say is that you, you as a tour manager um you have to manage a lot of personalities um and interactions um so i'm, I'm curious how uh what Was there maybe a point where some of that really clicked for you as a tour manager to how to manage people in those interactions? Was it maybe hard in the beginning to come naturally? What's been that progression to be that? I mean, the tour manager needs to be the rock of the tour uh, because there's always politics. There's always somebody (laughs) bitching about somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. Yeah.
1: for me, I'm still learning it um, because every act is different, and every tour I do, the size and scope is different. So my thing is whenever I get a call about a tour and there are and I get down to the final stages of possibly getting hired, I always say, I want to speak with the artist or the band directly because I have a list of questions that I want to ask. I want to get some feedback from them. What things do you like? What things do you not like? Or is, is there any drama that I should be aware of? Because, you know, management will tell you, Oh, you know, they are, there are a great bunch of guys and you get out there and it's a shit show. So I always ask questions and then if they don't want to speak, I'll send like a little questionnaire and I said, Hey, can you just fill this out and send it back to me at your leisure? And then I will just, you know, start putting stuff together. Um, but one of the things that I have learned is whenever you get into a new camp, there, you always have those people that Well, watch out for that guy because mm. he does this, blah, blah, blah. I said, I want to know and learn about a person from myself. I don't want to get into that whole gossip thing because then that puts the seed in your head that, okay, this guy or girls an asshole, So I shouldn't, do- you shouldn't do that. I think that you should just have that one-on-one with them because you never know There there's a, saying that in every story someone's going to hate you because they don't know the whole picture or they don't know the backstory, yeah. and is is dealing with life also because i think that the whole biggest thing about race relations and politics and stuff is people don't talk to each other they talk about each other they don't physically talk to each other to find out stuff and i think that if people did more of that the whole world would be a much better place overall because i've got some friends who are republicans and you know we sit down and talk about politics you know and you find out sometimes how they were raised or you know i come from this place or blah 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 and you know as a person of color i i'm still trying to wrap my head around that but they don't understand my perspective i don't understand their perspective but at least we're having a conversation about it so i think that's probably the best thing for me is when i come into trying to learn and i i would say for me it kind of clicked um I, i would say there was a few artists that i felt right from the jump, I'm going to do really well here. And the first one was John Legend, and I was with him for like almost six years. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever worked with, not only from a financial standpoint, but how he deals with people. And he's one of the, you know, he's old school. Yes, sir. No, sir. Please. Thank you. Um, That. And then when I worked with Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, you have three principles that you have to deal with. So that's three different personalities that you have to deal with but i was on the bus with them and on days off i knew that philip bailey liked to play golf so i'd set up golf for him i know that uh ralph likes to play drums and stuff he was a drummer so we would set that up he also liked to fly um and then verdine liked to go shopping or go to the spa so i would sit on the bus with them with my computer and said hey would you like to do this on this day yeah well maybe you could find a different course for me, blah 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 blah, okay, boom, I've booked it, and then on my days off i I never saw them because they were out doing their whole things, and they wouldn't want you to go with them because that's their private time so I think if you learn to respect uh an artist's space because the other thing that I've seen is a lot of people come out as tour manager or production manager, and they want to be friends with the artist that's not what it's about you're out there to do a job, uh, not hang out or get fringe benefits and stuff. It, it It is a job. So I hope that answers
3: questions for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So Sam, take take away your question. Yeah, I didn't want to take away from that.
4: Sure. I mean, so what, what do you wish you would have known when you first started? Let's say, you know, everybody who's 18, 19, 20, 21 listening, right? What do you wish that you would have known that they can take and just have a better understanding walking into it?
1: For me, I would have to. Well, I was a frustrated drummer. I played in a Rush cover band when I was in, in school yes, uh, I I was a drummer. So for me, I don't personally wish that I would have known anything because I think that it's a journey. You have to learn as you go. Um, and that's the big thing. Um, but I would have. And still on those students, learn everything you can, read everything you can, listen to TM101, listen to you guys, listen to Jim Kellogg, listen to Jim Digby, you know, listen to all those people, because you can learn a lot of wisdom. I listen to Jim Kellogg's stuff all the time, because, you know, as a tour accountant, you know, sometimes I get kind of frustrated, but I'll go to some of her episodes. I go, oh, there it is. Clear as day. Why couldn't I see that? Because, you know, sometimes you're so deep into something, you don't see What's in your peripheral vision? Mm-hmm. So if you go someplace else and listen to stuff or, or teach yourself stuff, I think that just makes you a lot more well rounded. So I don't. For I would just tell students to learn everything you can, listen to everything you can, and with students having the advent of social media, uh, which I didn't have, you know, I had to go to a a library, which mm-hmm. I'm quite sure a lot of people don't even know what a library is nowadays.
2: You I advanced. BBS. you used to BBS, didn't you?
1: No, I used to advance shows with uh, a notepad and paper and a pocket full of quarters because yeah. and i I had a sky pager so you would get a page you'd tell the bus driver to pull off to if you saw like the closest phone booth I would get out with like a a handful of quarters and I would call back the number figure it out and they would say well, you got to call this venue and then you know it was you guys probably don't even know what thermal fax paper is I bet. I Our don't. telex machine. See this I don't a telex I machine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I get that. When when I was teaching some students during the pandemic, you know, I was say, "Do you guys know what a fax machine is?" And they're like, mm, this is a, "Do you know what thermal paper?" No. Telex. No. Do you know a library? Oh yeah, we got one of those on campus. <laughs> do you ever go to the library? No. <laughs> we just Google everything. So.
4: I love that. I I Google frequently.
1: Um, All the time.
4: But you did bring up teaching students, and I noticed that uh, you were an adjunct professor at William Patterson. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we were talking a lot about learning and all those great things. What do you think are misconceptions that the industry has about people who, I'm going to rephrase that, actually. Um, Like, I don't have a degree in audio, right? I know a lot of people don't. Um, But what do you wish that those of us who don't have degrees in audio that work with people who do, what do you wish we knew about working with people that have come out of audio programs or, you know, understanding that formal audio education isn't everything, but it is something.
1: It is something. I think that if you teach a person who is formally educated, they could learn from someone who hasn't been formally educated educated. I didn't go to college. I, I wish I had gone to college. Um, but I've learned a lot of stuff from people who go to college. Um, and I've been around some amazing front of house engineers and monetary engineers. Some were well educated, you know, went to school, some weren't. But the thing is, I think that it's not necessarily about being educated. I think due diligence to do a good job and to follow through on it because a lot of people, oh, I went to full cell, so I know everything. You know, you can't tell me anything. And then you, like, you know, you can still learn some stuff. Um, If you go to a shop like Claire Eighth Day or Rat Sound or any of those, you'll see some old heads in there. And I would tell students, you should go talk to that guy because he probably has a wealth of information that he would be willing to share with you. Or I would tell a student, why don't you just wrap cables? If you can learn how to wrap cables first, it's going to lead to the next step, which is like how to set up a microphone stand. You know, just those small things, because small things make big things. And a lot of people don't take the journey. They just go to school, think that they're just going to go out and mix Metallica or U2 or the Stones. And then when it doesn't happen, they get dissolution. So I think that people should learn from people that aren't in their realm because it will make you a little bit more well-rounded
2: i like that
4: that's really well said
2: thank you i went to a lot of college <laughs> problem was that i never got a, a degree because obviously this life took me away from it and uh the one thing that jay Easley always used to tell me when i was with midas was you can't teach give a shit
1: oh that's a good
2: one and 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 that kind of goes along with that as well as like i think being on the gig you learn an ethic like you said you were raised in a military family yes sir no sir mm-hmm. the, the whole nine yards like that ethic you bring with you and i i think being on a gig with those old heads and working and working hard Uh, you kind of become a machine. And by the time you get to a John legend thing, you can walk out on deck as a PM or a TM and watch your people like go into their mode and just do the thing. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're looking for at at that level. Um, Now, arenas, stadiums, outdoor festivals, like they're, they're all nightmares, but it's, it's fun to watch you because you know a little bit about everything Like, you would come in when they were, you know, drawing the marks on the ground for chain and rigging and local staff and interacting with everybody. What was the most difficult department to deal with for you? (laughs) I just want to hear it out loud. I just want to hear it out loud. Like, I'm sure sure it's lighting and video.
1: I think that, to, and I know that people are going to probably hate me for saying this. I think that they're the more prima donnas of the touring world. More than
3: backline? Oh.
1: Ooh. ooh that's a that's very good Wow. Okay. There <laughs> goes, goes our
2: listeners.
1: <laughs> Ouch. Um, I would just say lighting um, because, you know, they usually have a theater background, so they are very particular. And, you know I say well look I understand you think that people are coming to the show to see the lights and you know I say the audio guys I think you I'm quite sure you think that everyone comes to hear the sound they just want to hear the voice and want to hear the band but I said do you but you have to understand that all of these pieces have to work together in in union it's not just I've got to have my way because mm-hmm. you're it's if you just have your way, it's going to affect the video department, which will affect the audio department, which will affect the backline guys, which will affect the artist. So it has to be everyone has to work as a team. And um, to, so, yeah. Yeah, backline. I never thought about that one. That was yeah. a good one, though,
2: Chris. So, so that's cool. Let's mm-hmm. take this back because I think before I did the tour with you is when audio went from being like two to three trucks and lighting one or two to almost the exact opposite. Video and lighting are taking up mm-hmm. uh, the majority of the tour now, and usually audio is fitting on one one truck. So you've seen, you've seen technology advance through this now. Like, have the shows gotten more and more insane how fast they can go up and come down as you've been doing this? I mean, the, not that they were building freaking scaffolding back in the day when you were doing it. But like putting up a show of the size that they have now compared to 10 years ago, is it better now? Or do you like it now? Like, is it insane to watch?
1: I used to come from the school. If an artist had more than five or six trucks, then they're depending more so on gags, uh, tricks, and video and stuff. I think that now the reason why we have so much video is because now people are up in the nosebleed sections and they can't really see the artist from there. So you have to have video screens so people can have uh, a way to actually see the show. Um, our tour, we're going out with 15 trucks. Right now, and it's only Tyler on stage, but we've got a a few gags. But it is a show, and Tyler is very, very much involved with the show. You know, like some artists will say, I want to see blue. Tyler is one of those people, I want to see Pantone number E12 or something. He's very specific about things. And, you know, with the show design, he's very involved with that. You know, we'll present him a design. I don't like that. What if we do this? he's very very involved and then he'll come out like the first day or two and he'll look at it and he'll go i like that let's move this over here let's change that color let's okay i'm out see you guys tomorrow and uh, i'd like to see all the the updates and you know he'll come back the next day and we'll go okay cool and then he'll run through the show like once or twice and then he's like okay i got it so, like well we've got the rehearsal place for four or five more days he's like, all right i've got it you guys can do whatever you want. So I've got it. So I and I love that about him because he's so focused. He's laser focused on stuff. But a lot of people will say, well, why do you have so many trucks? But we have a production that's going to make not only the artist happy, but it's also going to make the audience very happy because we take into consideration, okay, we have this this section that audio is not going to cover. Okay, we need to do something to make sure that we have audio. We want to make sure that everyone leaves there with a smile on their face. Like that was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen and heard of all time. I heard his vocals, I saw the video, I saw the pyro, I saw all this other stuff. So everything has to be all in tandem or cohesive as you said, Chris, so
3: yep. Yeah. I think, I think one thing I, I told people a long time ago, like I, like as Kyle was saying, like you know production on tours, let's call it, it's absurd what we've been mm-hmm. doing for the last frankly a decade. Um, the way I've justified it in my mind, oh, this, why are they doing all that? You know what? It creates more jobs, That's right? True. Like I, yeah. I mean, the bigger the tour, the more people employed. You know, every and and every, from every level to more merch to bigger venues uh so that's the way i've kind of just in my head you know like look i be as crazy as you want because you're at the end of the day more people are going to get employed so that's kind of like a, a justifying i've done in my head uh mm-hmm. on, on that um but I, i'm curious um you know we, we talked about Audio engineers mostly. And so it's easy to find typically what the pinnacle of their day is or what's the most gratification they get out of a day or their job. So as a tour manager, at the end of the day, what was the pinnacle experience for you or what what drives you each day to keep doing what you're doing?
1: Well, I like to travel. I like to I think I'm still a fan at heart. So as the show's getting put together, I come from the aspect of if I went to the show, would it? Would I think that that was cool? Um, I very rarely go to shows. Like when friends, I live in Atlanta, so when friends come to town, they say, "Hey, you want to come down and see the show?" I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Why would I want to go see another show? I'm not going to work. But, yeah. Right? I say, but I will come down for breakfast and watch you guys load in because I go. want to see it from a technical standpoint yeah. um, of how things get put together. And I always like to. I worked as a promoter at for Live Nation for a little bit, several, you know eons ago and one of the things is i would love to watch other productions come in because i would go that is the stupidest thing why are they doing that and i was like i will never do that but if they did something that was really cool or very efficient i would write that down and it was my way of listening watching and observing because then i'm i'm going to apply that to my tour because that'll make my tour better yep. and it's always i'm always in a learning thing um and it could be like learning from a club band or a band that plays in a bar, or it doesn't have to just be an arena thing. You can learn something from everyone. I mean, during the pandemic, one of the things that I did and I was teaching my students this is, how many of you students have reached out to someone that you, that you admire that you think could further your career and not a single student raised their hand? And they said, why, why wouldn't you? And they said, well, we just figured that they wouldn't respond or they wouldn't get back to us. They wouldn't want to talk to us. I said, so why are you self-defeating yourself? I said, that is, you're just harming yourself. So I took it upon myself. I reached out to people that I look up to, like Barry and Malcolm Weldon and yeah. Stuart Ross and yeah. all those guys. I said, they're probably not going to talk to me. And, you know, they're like, hell yeah. You know, let, let's let's chop it up. Let's talk and stuff. So I was on the, the Polestar panel and... Jake says, Hey, would you like to be on this panel with us? And I was with Charlie Hernandez is like, dude, I'm not worthy. I'm not like at y'all's level. He says, shut the fuck (laughs) up and just come up here and like hang out with us. So it was Malcolm Weldon, who I love and admire, Jake Berry, Charlie Hernandez, Stuart Ross, uh, who else is up there? And someone else, you know, like all people that I grew up like, Holy shit. It was kind of like a Robert Plant moment for me again. Um, so you can always learn something. And I just picked their brain, you know, and they, they let me. And a lot of times is during the pandemic, people were just sitting around. They didn't have anything to do, you know. So what do you want to do? Let's talk. Let's get on a Zoom. Let's get on a phone call. So I've been teaching my students that a lot. And then uh, Spotify just ran something today of an interview I did like during the pandemic where I was telling students to reach out. And so it reran today and holy shit. My emails today was, Hey, I'm just reaching out <laughs> to you. Right? And that was, so.
2: We should, we should put a link to that in our, in our description. Yeah. Okay. I can do it, and, yeah. and and you're totally playing Michael Lawrence's part right now. I was going to say that you're, you're
1: preaching
0: it. the gospel brother. That's, that's yeah. my whole thing. If you see someone and you think you can learn something, call them up, man. Call them up, mm-hmm. you know? I'm all about. I'll it. I'll be calling you, Michael,
1: because I want to see your.
0: I wanna, I'm going to be calling you. All right, here you go. Right there. There you go. Ooh. See you over my shoulder. there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's. It,
2: five. I mean, five that, one likes metal too. I'm not going to kid you.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, you come out, come out to see the show, man. But I think there is so, 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 so much to be gained by just saying, "Hey, or I, I heard your I... show, and I, how did oh. you get the toms to sound like that?" do it like there's there's no reason not not to do it you know we love talking about stuff we're good at we love talking about stuff we're passionate about like you you don't have to give me an excuse to talk to you about pa systems you know so like reach out i I think yeah we love that we we really encourage everyone Mm -hmm. who's listening to the show and you know that's that's it right there like you just just do it don't be scared
3: Yep, for sure so five, one, I got to yes, sir. Time. I'm curious. So you've had a long career, um, touring life can be, um, difficult on the home front. How has that worked for you? Have you been able to manage that? Well, has it been rough? How, what, what, or and or what advice would you give to people, um, in that Avenue?
1: Um, uh- I would say find someone who understands that you're going to be gone a long time and can, can deal with that because I've seen so many divorces and uh, you see stuff happen on the road. Um, So I would say you have to have a partner who can, can deal with that stuff because a lot of people can't and, you know, people get lonely and when people get lonely, that's when stuff happens. So, you have to know how to manage that um, especially if you have children you know if you have a day off even though it's a pain in the ass fly home you know just spending like six or seven hours you know it's going to be hard on you but for your child and your partner it's 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 a huge difference you know they're super excited to see you you're going to be super excited to see them and then you have to fly right back so you know do those small things you know do those Zooms, you know, FaceTime, you know, call, you know, that's the thing it is the minute that you go two or three days without communicating with your home life is when things start to, to get a little rocky. So just yep. stay in touch with people.
2: The, the ever seen after the show, after the truck doors close is everybody outside the bus on their cell phones getting yelled at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of us are catching up but most of us are getting yelled at
1: okay yeah
2: <laughs> it's true it's true it is like it everyone's is. on the Boy, phone with their significant other getting yelled at for not being home and we're out here having a great time you know
0: <laughs> i mean that's well that's something that i'm navigating now that i didn't have to navigate in the past like today i'm like hey hey, honey, I tuned a really big PA today, and it went well. And, and, you know, Denny was happy. And she's like, that's cool. The dog took a shit on the pool cover. You know, like, that's just, that's what's going on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we send our love to Joya. I remember coming to Atlanta, and you'd bring the dogs out and the lady. And you always made a day of it for us. So if we were coming to Atlanta, and y'all are going to take us out to eat, where are we going to go eat at? Uh
3: yeah, no, my question, man. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, you definitely just jipped Michael's I question. Gypped
2: I jipped him. Wow. Because I remember all day bacon. If you guys don't know about all day bacon, oh
1: we have it's it's on our rider here too. Uh all day bacon. Cause uh I don't I think you know Chris Villanueva, don't you, Kyle? Of course I do. Okay, so Chris is our AEG promoter rep Oh, uh, tell him hello. So when I sent him the rider, he says, Hey is adb on there i said what do you think dude and so he's <laughs> scrolled through the ride and he goes there it is adb so all day so all day bacon yeah that's
3: awesome man i, I didn't want to be here this, this i'll ask it No, again, let's, but, keep I mean, let's keep going let's keep going well i'll ask my question i'm sure it's going to go somewhere so the, the question i typically ask at the end and by, by all means we'll have to end here but um If you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that?
1: Um, As someone who really cared, someone who was very thorough, who was very organized, who was very empathetic, who um, uh, was very good at putting things together. Um, I try to make life easy for everyone. Uh, Like my riggers, I do a, a rigging book for them you know, and give it to them. I do maps and directions for all my drivers. You know, it's not only directions there, but directions how to get to the loading dock. Do, are there loading docks? Is there shore power for the buses? Is there bus wash facilities for the buses? You know, this, those small things. So people, I, th- I think also I do it because I don't want people to ask me questions <laughs> once we get out there. <laughs> so so I try, I I stress myself out prior to the tour because I try to do so much for all of the departments that once we get out there, that, uh, cause I know the first two weeks are going to be the most stressful for the tour because you're getting your sea legs under you. Then after that, when that third week hits, it's an autopilot. And then by the fourth week, I'm like, I'm bored as shit now. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I gotta find something to do. So, but I, I have the settlement stuff to keep me busy. So I really, really sure. enjoy that. So, um, I I hope that people will remember me as that. Um, And I think that I'm one of those people that I tell people that I do what I say. I say what I do. There's no gray area Mm -hmm. with me. So um, if you ask me to do something, I'm 99.6.3.45% going to do it. (laughs) Um, And I'll do it on time. Um, So, And I think I'm one of those people that... As you get older, you don't hold your tongue as much and you don't suffer fools (laughs) as much. Um, So if people ask me my opinion, I'll say, well, do you really want my opinion or do you really want me to say what you want to hear? And so I, I put that out there to them. So. And then, you know, usually they'll go, No, be honest with me. And then I'll be honest with them. And they'll go, Well, that was pretty shitty for you to say. I like, well, you asked me to be honest with you. So
3: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Sam, what do you got?
4: All right. So I actually was super excited when you brought up TM one oh one because I actually mm-hmm. watched a lot of that during Yay. The Yeah, I got really excited. So I'd love to hear you talk more about that and really give us um some more information and just kind of tell people what it is. Okay. Uh, and what you guys hope they get out of it because it's really such an awesome resource.
1: Okay. Well, TM 101 was started by a tour manager named Mark Clark and another tour manager named Doug Wilson. So they had banded together and said, hey, why don't we put together the show and we'll just have talk to other tour managers and production managers. And then they brought on Henry Bordeaux, who is a well-known I've heard of tour him. manager. Yeah. Yeah. He was out with Fallout Boy. Uh, he the, he did Olivia Rodrigo. He was uh, Tyler's. Uh, he's worked with Travis Scott. He's worked you know, with several people. And then it was like all dudes. And they said, well, we got to get some women on this. So they brought in Mary Jo Katzka, who is world famous uh, also. And, and one of my mentors, I look up to her, like, she's like a goddess to me of of accounting and tour managing. And then they brought in Adrian Biondo and then uh, Jim Rungi, who you guys probably know. He's so So they started out like the first three or four shows and then they had reached out to me to be a guest on one of them. I think I was in the the fourth one and uh, after that show they said, hey, would you like to come on board and be like the seventh member?" And it's like hmm, yeah, ah. sure. So we did and it was during the pandemic. Um, so TM 101 is we have different episodes and it's not just about tour managing it's also about tour accounting it's also about production managing. We've had several guests on, you know we've had, Everyone from Ina Jacobs at CAA to Jim Digby. We've had uh, Malcolm Weldon. We've had Rhodes of Color United on there when we were speaking PC. about diversity and, yep, diversity and inclusion. Uh, we've had uh, the Roadie Clinic on. Paul and Courtney. Yep. So we talk about everything and it's. Everything's uploaded on YouTube now, so if you guys are going to want to go back and watch some of the episodes, please do, because with those – the seven of us, that's a wealth of knowledge right there. I learned so much stuff from the the other six people on there that it's it's mind-boggling, especially during the pandemic when you're sitting around doing nothing, is it was great to talk to other – six other people who are in the same boat as you and who have a lot of wisdom as you. And um, so t- that's TM 101, it's really, really great. Um, and out of that, I've, I'm on the board of an organization called Well Done, uh, Um and Well Done is we help college students find internships and mentorships. And if a college student has an unpaid internship, we help try to provide a small stipend to offset the cost of them paying for, you know, out of pocket for stuff. And what we, what we've been doing is well done and TM 101 not have banded together, but work kind of hand in hand from time to time to try to get students to get them some wisdom. So we guide the students from well done to watch TM 101 if they want to get into the industry and what we're seeing now is Henry Bordeaux had started having students come out and shadow at shows. And it was a great idea. And we had during Tyler, we had students from well done and students from who had watched TM 101 come out and shadow us. And now we're starting to see other groups are doing it. So Tame and Paula, IFA, who is my production coordinator on Prince, she's the tour manager for Tame and Paula. She had called, she says, Hey, we want to do that. So, how do, how do we do it? Because it's, it's easy to do, but it's kind of difficult to find students who, are, who really know what they want to do. Because you find a lot of students say, well, I want to get in the, the music industry. Well, what do you want to do? I don't know. I want to get in the music industry. You, you kind of have to find your path. Yeah. Um, and so one of our interns at Well Done, her name is Amanda Forbes, uh, and she watched TM101 religiously. And through well done and TM 101, somehow Dave Matthews band heard about her and she went out on Dave Matthews band and she just finished awesome. that up and they've asked her to come back uh, next year. So one of our other students who watched us on TM uh, TM101, her name is Teresa. and Teresa came out and chatted us and she is amazing. And we hired her. Uh, Out on Tyler. So this is going to be her first tour. She just graduated in December. Uh, She's going to be our tour assistant slash backstage coordinator assistant slash basically a catch-all. And she's super nervous and super excited, but she knows everyone out here already. So, you know, we're going to help her out. And what our plan is to do is between Well Done and TM101 is to keep getting... Try to get other bands to take out students to kind of get awesome. out there. Because that's the, that's the best way to learn is to physically be there from the time that the truck's open to the time that the truck's close.
3: Well, I definitely want to find a way to maybe tie people who are itching in our mentorship program to kind of tie into your guys' world. Oh, so great. We'll, we'll, we'll We'll definitely connect after this and figure out. And man, we lost Kyle again.
0: Kyle. <laughs>
3: Kyle. Kyle, you, you good, well, Kyle. You good, Kyle? You good? So that was strange. You're uh, and, and you're back on your you're back on your computer microphone, but just leave it. Don't touch it. We can hear you. So Go. I'm pretty proud of my phone right now. Yeah. Dave, uh, five Yay. five yes. one. All right. I want I want two more stories out of you. Okay. I want a Kyle story and I want one more Prince oh, story. Oh, no. So okay, Kyle what, what, story. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: Uh, Kyle story.
4: Not to leave on purpose now.
1: That's no, a, no, it's. Um, I really don't. I,
3: I, it. it it's not a, be like a funny story. It could be like something you learned something, or just whatever. Like, I mean,
1: I'll tell you the story of where I really fell in love with Kyle, and where I Aww. grew a lot of I grew a lot of respect from him. There we go. Uh, I was out at front of house mix, and he was having a difficult time in a venue or something. And you know, I'm an ex-audio guy, so I'm not gonna tell the front of house guy anything. That's not my place, you know. And he turned to me and he says, What do you think? And I I was very hesitant, I was very hesitant to say anything, but I said, I think you should do this and this and this, and you can just try it. You know, it, it may work, it may not work. And he's like, hmm okay and he went over the console and he changed some stuff and he had the band play again and
2: then he did this
1: yeah and that's where i fell in love with kyle because
2: (laughs) he he used to come out and like pump me up because check this out like that was the biggest thing i've ever done like they grew exponentially yeah like insane i was at the Sugar we're going down video shooting in upstate New York where the kid with the antlers, like, they played Mm -hmm. in the VFW hall. And then literally a year later, Jay-Z is announcing our show in New York City after we got done playing Saturday Night Live. So I, I still felt like this kid at front of house. So you always came to front of house and, like, pumped me up like you never and and when i was listening to you tell the story about you get a little bit more honest you you were honest with me a couple times like and i had dave coil out there who was like Mm -hmm. that was his first system gig he was Mm -hmm. our monitor engineer before and like we had such a really cool crew and it made it so easy like it it was it was so fun like i the memories that have came back but like like i said at the beginning of the show your charisma with the tour was amazing like i said it was like when you walked out on the floor you knew a little bit about everybody's gig you checked in on everybody you made sure everybody had what they needed um we had vegans i you know Mm -hmm. hurley and, and patrick were eating vegan at the time so like even in our tour book there was like vegan restaurants or delivery or whatever like everybody was taken care of and it didn't matter if we were crappy backline dudes or audio or whatever lighting we were we were taken care of and man i appreciated you being on that thing because i saw your print stuff before you got out there and Whoa. uh i i it yeah man like it it was it was awesome having you for sure well thank oh, you yeah. thank you thank you for the kind words and all day bacon that's well, all
3: adb well you know since we are an audio podcast we can't skip over the fact that you used to do audio so what what say. what yeah, we gotta we gotta yeah, put that out there. Um,
1: well, that's how I. After I lost my parents, I bought a recording studio and found someone to teach me how to engineer and mix. And one of the bands that was in my studio got signed to Motown Records. They were from a small town, and so when they went out on tour, they said, "Will you come out and mix us?" And I was like, "Sure." Then it was, "Can you drive the van?" Mm-hmm. Okay. Then can you because you're ex drummer? Can you do the be the drum roadie? I was like okay and then since you're rec- on the recording studio could you set up the guitar rig and the bass rig and it's like okay um so we went out mm-hmm. and their first big tour they were opening up for uh this at the time and they were uh, a very large group and um so i was mixing and one of the things when i was say that i've also taught my students is do everything to the best of your ability because you never know who's watching you mm-hmm. and uh, at the time, the tour manager of that group was leaving, funny enough, to go work with Prince and became my mentor, Karen Krattinger. And she says, hey, I happen to notice that you're kind of doing everything and, you know, your mixes are pretty good. And she said, I'm getting ready to leave. Would you be interested in tour managing and mixing my band? And I was like, hmm, I'm in a van with nine guys. I'm doing everything, getting paid for one I'll be on a bus and I just have to mix and take care of the band. Fuck. Yeah. I want to do that. And plus <laughs> there's more money. So uh, she introduced me to the band and uh, she, she was getting ready to leave. She's all right. You have two weeks to call me. If you need anything after two weeks, you have to sink or swim. You're you're on your own. And right. that was probably one of the great things, but it moved on to me. I mixed the Fuji's for a little while. I mixed uh, Ani DeFranco uh, the Neville Brothers, Aaron Neville. Um, I don't
2: know much.
1: Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles. Um, I don't oh, know if man. you guys, the actress Mila Jovovich, she had an album. I went out and did that. It was kind of like a folk, kind of European, kind of weird thing with banjos and the instrument that kind of crank. I can't even remember the name of it. <laughs> um, but. And I also mix a lot of bluegrass bands and, you know, I'd be at a bluegrass festival. I'd of course be the only black guy there. And I was also (laughs) the only black guy behind the console, but I got, and I love country music. I love country music, not only from the aspect of, they have great musicians, but tones are their big thing and getting the sound to be correct before it even gets to the console. So um, that's my background. And I love to go to a, if I go to a show and it sounds amazing, I will make a point to go and talk to that front of house engineer. And when I was a tour manager in matchbox 20, you know, Robert Scoville was mixing and oh my gosh, you know, and being that I used to play in a rush cover band, I just talked to him about rush this (laughs) rush, this Tom (laughs) Petty, but listening to Robert mix and watching him mix was, that was a lesson in itself because that guy is on a whole nother level Mm -hmm. as far as as far as audio and and he's one of those people ask me anything you know I'll, i'll show you he's he's an open book and i think that's how all people should be so that's my my audio background and i used to write for mix magazine and pro sound web and canadian sound and and other magazines so that's my audio background that's awesome Print stories.
0: Well, listen, fellas. Well, I've got to go eat my catering, but uh, David, man, I'm so glad I got to stop in and and, uh, and hear you chat. Thank you for joining us, man. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Well, well, well thank you. Now, d- don't forget, I'm going to re- reach out to you because I'm going to ask you some questions to see if you can impart some wisdom on me.
3: Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's exchange some ideas. Okay, nice. Yes, sir. What before you, thank you, Michael. Before you get to the print, uh, print story, which it better be the best print story you have. right? Oh, I've got so, a uh, couple. All right. Well, I'll take as many as you got. But all right. Okay. Let do one more thing before we get there. Okay. Um, you like to learn from people, and you've spoken about maybe artists that you've learned from. Mm-hmm. Who Who is maybe the most surprising person that you learned maybe a life lesson or a big lesson from through your years of touring? Uh,
1: probably be my three mentors are probably my father. Uh, Because my father, like I said, instilled the work ethic. But my father also, we always had music in our house. My father listened to everything. He listened to R&B. He listened to soul. He listened to gospel. He listened to classical music. Uh, My father listened to this country group called the Chuck Wagon Gang. Uh, So he listened to everything. And I think that's where... I got the the whole music bug. And music, you know, for a person of color, we don't just listen to R&B and hip-hop. That's just a misconception that I just think has just been instilled in us from day one. I know a lot of us who listen to metal. I mean, like, I'm a hardcore Slipknot fan. I'm, yes. I'm, yeah, so I love Killswitch Engage. I love Surruption. I love... Um, but then again, I love marin Morris, you know in, in the country world so i think that if you listen to a little bit of everything it just makes you more well-rounded you know don't don't get pigeonholed into to one thing because absolutely you know there's a whole world out there so listen to everything
3: I, it's funny i actually said to my four-year-old daughter which i know she won't remember this but like oh. um but i we're, we're in the kitchen so like you know we obviously live in a day where freaking Alexa just sits in our kitchen right and so there is music on in my house 24/7 there just is and i literally it just it just hit me and i said to Nora Nora's my daughter my 4-year-old daughter and i'm like look like i hope i, I what i first said was like you will never have an excuse when you get older that we didn't expose you to enough music because, I mean, we listen to everything. I mean, I do uh, anything from hardcore rock, rap. You know, you know, my mm-hmm. wife and other daughters listen to the the pop, the pink, and this, that, and the other. Like you she's ex- all three of my kids are exposed to everything, and I said I hope that one of your memories when you get older is that music was always on in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so even though she probably won't remember me saying that, I still hope that that, because it wasn't in my house um, and, and uh, I had my own influences of music, up, so whatever, but like uh, that's something like I've been, my wife and I have intentionally done it, or do is like, Music is life. Like that's just it. Just it's 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 a soundtrack of life. So Mm -hmm. that's really cool. Yep. All right. Just well, I'll take as many Prince stories as you got.
1: Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'll tell you what. One of my favorite Prince audio stories. Yes. So we had a front of house guy come out, uh, and he was very well known. And Prince came out to the console and. He did the whole, does that sound good to you thing? And the guy was like, yeah. And so Prince muted the console, and he says, come up here on stage with me. And Prince had this thing called one-two. So when he would tell the drummer, one-two, boom, boom, on the kick drum. So he says, one-two, and the drummer hit the kick drum two times. And he says, I want my kick drum to sound like that. So we walked back out to the front of house console. He unmutes the console. The guy, he gets on the mic, says one, two, the drummer hits one, two. And he says, OK, so does your that kick drum that's coming through the PA sound like what we just heard up on stage? And the guy said, yeah. And he says, oh, OK. And we muted the console. and They walk back up to the stage again. <laughs> he says, one, two, boom, boom. I want it to sound like that. Walk back out, unmuted the console. The guy did a little bit of EQing. He changed something on the gate and some of the compressors. One, two. He says, no. Muted the console. Walked back up to the stage for the third time. And I think that what he was trying to do is get the guy to understand, I really want the kick drum to sound like that. Because, you know, most engineers, when they EQ the kick drum, it's all that low end, you know, doom, doom, doom. So he went out there and he says, all right, I'm not going to have you EQ at this time. He didn't even tell the drummer one, two. He just went to the channel strip, prints himself, and adjusted some stuff. He went over to the compressor and the gate. He adjusted some stuff. Unmuted the console, told the drummer one, two, boom, boom. And he says, That's what I want it to sound like. And the guy says, But that's all m- mostly mid range and attack stuff. And he says, What I'm trying to teach you is that music isn't about just the low end. People get that. But if I'm teaching you the attack on the kick drum, when the bass player hits a low E and the kick drum lands at the same time, they're not interfering frequency wise. And I was like, Holy shit. I, I, I never thought about that and so whenever I go out to a show and I hear like the sound check and it's always do I was like, okay I, mean, I do I wish that Prince was here right now because he would literally go up to go one two because and uh, on our last tour he even did it over in Europe uh, with the with third eye girl and uh, I was trying to tell the front of house guy says look, he's gonna do this before he comes go up on stage seriously and listen to the kick drum and try to make it sound exactly like it sounds on stage because he's going to ask you when he comes out there. So he understood about frequencies. And if you ever listen to any Prince mixes, it has to low end, but you can hear the bass guitar. And especially if it's the bass guitar and like bass synth are playing and the kick drum, all of that stuff is just going to be um. Much. But if you have the attack on the kick drum, there's room for all of those frequencies to breathe. So that was one of my favorite audio print stories, other than the, hey, 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 one, two, one, two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of my other favorite stories, um, I've only told a few people this one. So uh, now that he's gone, I feel like I can, I can share this one. So there we go. We were on a tour, and he um, we were getting ready to roll into Germany and he called me and he says, I don't want to play Germany. And I was like, we've got like six sold out shows in Germany. He says, yeah, I'm not feeling it. you guys just need to turn around and I want to play London tomorrow night. And he says, just have everyone turn around, come to London. And he says, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, no, you won't. He says, what do you mean? I said, I was born in England. England is an Island. You just don't, Drive there, you have to get on a ferry to to get there. I says, We're not going to make it. And he says, All right, um, well, I'll see you in a couple of days. And he says, And here's where I want to play. And it was like a casino that held like maybe 300 people. And he says, And I want full production. I says, We're not going to get 12 (laughs) trucks of production in there. And he says, Well, if you can't get everything in there, I at least want the kabuki drop. And you guys know what a kabuki drop is, correct? Okay. And it says, We're not going to be able to do the kabuki drop. We have neither the height nor the length. And he says, Why are you still talking? And he hangs up on me. And I was like, This motherfucker just hung up the phone on me. <laughs> <laughs> and so we finally pull into to London and uh, we had finished loading in. And he says, Hey, he called and he says, Hey, I'm going to come over early for sound check. And he says, The kabuki drop's there. I said, No, I told you we're not. It's, we don't have it. He says, Well, you need to come up with something. I said, okay. And at this point I was in the tour. We had just got finished doing like 17 or 18 in a row. I was burnt out. I was pissed off. I just wanted to go home. I was just so frustrated and we had like these big Samoan guys, his security. And I called one of them. I said, Hey, when you leave the hotel, can you bring me a couple of bed sheets? And we're like, why? I said, I have an idea. And (laughs) so they brought them. And so when they came over, I explained to them what I was going to do. And, Prince walked in. He kind of looked up the ceiling. He says, I don't see the Kabuki drop. And I said, I told you we're not going to have it. And um, I said, but I've, I have come up with an idea with you. And So I had called him. I said, I'm probably going to get fired after this but I'm getting ready to do. So <laughs> nice. I might be home tomorrow. So um, so I said, all right, everyone's show positions. Everyone got in their show positions. They put his guitar on and you know how you have an X on the floor to mark the spot where, you know, light's going to come down and I had one Samoan guy stand over here. And, you know, the Samoan guys are like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, you know, Prince was like 5'2". I had one guy hold the sheet. The other guy hold the sheet. They <laughs> raise it up in front of him. As they start the show, the lights go down. We start the show, and they know the cue of where the kabuki drop comes down. And start they start playing the music. Both of the Samoan guys release the sheet. It fell down. And then Prince goes, Stop. <laughs> so the whole band stops And I was like here it is I'm getting ready to get fired This is going to be a good one And he says uh, Mr. Norman could you come up on stage And I said yes sir And he says I'm like 8 feet away from me." He says can you come a little bit closer So said is he gonna, like, hit me or something And like his two Samoan guys are standing behind them And they were like <laughs> So he says can you come a little bit closer And I was like okay So I'm like 4 feet away I'm trying to keep my distance and he's a little bit closer. And then I'm like literally standing like almost chest to chest. And he takes his guitar off and he puts it on the stand. And then he puts his arms around me, hugs me, and he starts laughing. He says, That was the funniest thing that I've ever seen in my life. And I like that you came up with something. He says, We're not going to use that tonight, of course, but uh, good try. So <laughs>
2: gay Oh,
3: my goodness. <laughs> yes. That's amazing.
1: Oh, that story is true because uh, between studio and A and B, he had a basketball court at Paisley Park. Um,
2: and Charlie Murphy came over. Did Yeah. So, yep. so did you ever see those guys hanging out? Like, oh, Eddie Murphy's just hanging out in Prince? <laughs> no. Sera? No. Okay. Uh-uh. Um, oh.
1: The other Prince story I, I love to share with people is he loved to play practical jokes, and he would love to try to scare you. And there's one night – me and someone else, we were in the middle of the sound stage at Paisley Park and there's cameras everywhere and there's mics everywhere so he can listen and watch people and we were literally standing in the middle of the sound stage and I don't know how he did it but he came up behind us and he scared the shit out of us. I mean, I literally jumped like a foot in the air. And he was laughing. He kind of walked away. And so, like a few nights later, you know, we were in the stage again by ourselves. And and each corner of Paisley Park, he had like these long drapes. And then one night, I saw one of the drapes move, and I see like these two little white boots at the bottom of the of the drapes. I said, hey, dude, I see you, and I see the boots slide back. And he goes, well, "You know." <laughs> so, um, I I truly truly. Miss that man. He taught me a lot. Um, uh, he was very frustrating. He could be very difficult to work with. But I think that his work ethic was on a whole nother level. So you had to be on point at all times. And he is one of the people that taught me that if an artist has a question, you should always have an answer. The reason why I tried to do it everyone's jobs or learn a little bit about everyone's jobs because you never know hey what's blah 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 blah? oh i know here's the answer right here or never tell an artist i don't know say hey give me a second let me work on that i'll get back to you because the minute you say no to an artist you're like this this person doesn't know what they're doing so always say give me a moment i'll have a solution for you i'll come back to
2: you so words to live by yep let me see if
1: I have one more print story. Um, oh, um, we, were, th- no, was it? we were in Germany someplace, and he would play a show, and then, you know, people would call him back for an encore, he'd go back for an encore, and then he would want to do like an after show yep. someplace. So we were in Germany or someplace, and... I mean, he killed it. I mean, he killed it every night. And he went up to the dressing rooms. And and we had a code. I would ask him as I'm walking him back to the dressing room, are we done? And he would say, yes, we're done. And I would say, are we done, done? And if he says done, done, I could call on the radio and tell everyone, okay, that's it. Bring up house lights. He's not coming back. So this one night, I said, we're walking him back to the dressing room. I said, are we done? He said, yep. I said, are we done, done? He says, we're done, done. I called him on the radio, tell everyone. We're done. House lights come up. Uh, They started tearing down. One side of the PA started coming in. And then I see him coming out of the dressing room with the band. And we're like, what's going on? He says, we're going to do one more song, but we're going to do it acoustic. I said, "Uh, no, you're not. He says, you don't tell me no or not. I (laughs) says, well, half the PA is on the ground. Most of the audience is gone. so, um, So he says, well, let me see. So he walks out and he sees... One side of the PA is on the floor. There's maybe a thousand people in there are still filing out. You know, we'd already turned the PA off. We've already, right. you know, and uh, he said, How long will it take you to get the PA back up? And to make- oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> so I was like, It's going to take a minute. And he says, uh, Okay, we're done, done. So you went back to the dressing and he was done. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah that's like a jackson brown moment there like you know you know make sure you you know take everything except my piano before you uh yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool yeah
4: oh man that is great Well,
3: oh, damn five one thank you so so much i appreciate it Yay. i had so much fun so. we're gonna
2: have to put a bunch of links to some of the stuff that we mentioned to talk about absolutely in, in, in the yeah. description yep.